Hi, I'm Divya. Hi, I'm Karan. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Thinking on Thinking. Today we talked about a lot of different things. We started from the premise of life always works out or things always come together. And we explored how we have arrived at that belief in our lives and how that might be related to psychology, how we see the world. And then we made some offshooted discussions to a bunch of other things, including some nuclear physics. We hope you enjoy. Um, so there was this, this exhibit I saw at the Singapore Museum of um, Art and Science that was about how uh, like things attract like. Can I tell you about this? No. Oh, it was super cool. So it was... Um, this artist had done this this like interactive exhibit on the wall where people could walk up to it and you could touch the touch the wall and when you did it caused a disruption and everything would float apart so what was on the wall was these like particles that were all a color and they were just floating around okay um and the wall is like two stories high and it's maybe i would say uh it's kind of like a a hexagon sort of shape like you're standing in the hexagon and it's the half hexagon uh, mm-hmm. it, it, you kind of feel like you're in a semi-enclosed space, right? And maybe like six people could easily interact with it at once. Um, mm-hmm. And all of these particles are different colors. And what starts to happen um, is the particles of the same color will start to gather together uh, is if you leave them mm-hmm. alone. Uh, and then as soon as you mm-hmm. touch them, they will fly apart and like chaos will, will like erupt. And then slowly over time, it will gather together. And what the artist is trying to mm-hmm. illustrate with this is the notion that like attracts like. Right, that like things will things will come together in the universe. There's that whole exhibit is a little bit talking about how um, it's like improbable, I guess, that like matter would have all found each other because the universe is so big. Except that like matter hmm. attracts each other. Do you know kind of what that idea is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you yeah, might I have mean, to explain like, it. Gravity. I, okay, <laughs> is it okay. just gravity? No, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, so I guess, yeah. If you think about it, even though it takes millions of years for a hydrogen cloud to actually coalesce into a star, one, on the like universe scale, that time is not too long. And ultimately, even though you have so few hydrogen atoms that maybe you begin with like, you know, one atom or two atoms in a cubic meter, which is like insanely low, yeah. right? But over time, because of the minute gravity that they all exert on each other, they keep coming together. Um, but that would attract so, all like, kinds of matter, not just certain, like... I mean, there is only hydrogen and helium in the universe, if you think about it. Broadly, that's just all that there is. Oh, and where does everything else come from? Oh, okay. So initially, when the universe began, there were only protons and electrons and like, you know neutrons. So like the initial matter that formed was just hydrogen atoms and helium atoms. Um, and then it's because of fusion reactions that took place that in the stellar core is... So when, uh, if you might have heard this quote, we are made of stardust. Yeah. It's because we are literally made of stardust. It's when a star like you know collapses and a supernova explosion happens is when the heavier metals like carbon and iron and all of that gets like you know thrown out in the universe which can serve as fuel for the next stellar disk that needs to be formed 
Oh, so and fusion reactions happen inside of stars. Yeah. Oh, so in the beginning, there were the fusion reactions were only between hydrogen and helium, or hydrogen and hydrogen and hydrogen. Yeah, hydrogen and hydrogen would form form other hydrogen and helium. And then over time, the entire periodic table was built, basically. Yes. Oh, that's so crazy. I ne basically. never realized that. that. Yeah, despite all the years of chemistry and physics I took, that was never explained to me in that way. <laughs> um, wow. So, like, there's constantly more, potentially more kinds of, of matter being formed in other stars yeah. we haven't yet discovered. Other kinds of matter hasn't? Like... I don't know what number is what's the highest number on the periodic table like um i think we are at we have made 200 something right now um but so okay so there are two parts to this thing um one is once you mm, how much of nuclear physics do you know some i remember like like circles like um like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like so that P. is uh, like yeah, yeah, electron orbitals. But I'm I don't mean that at all. I don't mean atomic physics. I mean nuclear physics. It's just the nucleus. Okay. So in nucleus, you have two things, right? You have your protons and you have your neutrons. Hmm. Um, there are two different forces that are at action there. Of course, gravity exists, but gravity at that smaller scale is negligible. Hmm. You can hmm. just I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so you have two forces, electromagnetic force, which is repulsion between two like particles, which is protons, right? Yeah. Um, and strong nuclear force, which is what is binding different, um, the, the neutrons and protons with each other. Yeah. Okay. So, which is why, like while hydrogen will have like most common form isotope of hydrogen as just a proton and an electron, the most common form of helium has two protons, but also two neutrons to balance out the force. Yeah. So there is like, you know, two neutrons keeping the two protons together. Um, but now if you think about like, of course, this is a very, very oversimplified, definitely not quantum mechanically correct way analogy. But if you think about it, right, like you keep assembling these balls together. Right? Strong nuclear forces work only at very, very close distances, like literally at nuclear distances. They are not effective at atomic distances also. Okay. Um, so uh, strong nuclear forces can keep uh, only nucleus of a particular size together. So if you think about um, like elements beyond lead. Yeah. Right. On the periodic table. Um, almost all of them have nuclei so big that um, like protons on one side of it and on the other side of it will have stronger repulsion than the attraction force going to be able to keep them together with. Oh, and that's why they're usually found in um, ion form. That's why they are radioactive. I ions are chemical. Oh. Um, this is nuclear physics, right? So you have to think about it in terms of radioactive isotopes. So almost everything out after lead, you don't have a stable isotope of them. Oh. What about, what about like the, aren't there noble gases after lead? There would be one, which is radon. Oh, and it's not stable? Radon is a radioactive gas, noble gas. 
Okay, so there is chemistry which involves reactions between different elements, right? Um, this is where your electrons and the SPDF orbitals that you mentioned, they come into picture, right? Um, and that is where noble gases are non-reactive because their orbitals are fully filled. It's not exactly true for the higher order noble gases like xenon and all because um, you have some empty orbitals. Like they have not been seeded yet, but you have one empty orbital. Uh, should I get into this? Why do you have an empty orbital? Um, so think about if you remember how your periodic table was filled. Um, you have like, you know, 1s, then 2s, 2p, yeah. 3s, 3p, 4s, then 3d. Yeah, 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 I remember that. So you are running like now suddenly one of your orbitals from the previous generation is running in the current generation. Yeah. Correct? So like you might have a 4 series running, but you haven't filled the 4f, right? Um. So, like the F orbital uh, series is called lanthanide, lanthanides and actinides. Okay. Like, start with lanthanum, the first 4F, and then 5F is actinum, if I'm actinium or something like that. Uh, really, it's been years. Uh, but uh, because of that, like, you can actually make compounds out of xenon also. Um, they're not particularly stable. But yeah, so that is one part of it. And then nuclear physics is about how stable is the nucleus of the atom itself. So generally when we are doing chemistry and chemical reactions, we assume that the atom is never going to change. They're yeah. just going to combine in different forms. Now... But that's not actually a safe assumption. Like in real life, that's not yes. what happens. Oh. I mean, like in real life, that does happen. Most of the elements that we are surrounded by are not radioactive. They have what we call them, stable isotopes. Yeah. So hydrogen has three isotopes, right? Which is basically one proton, one electron is your hydrogen. Then one proton, one electron, and uh, uh, one neutron is deuterium. And then you have one proton and two neutrons. That one is not stable. Oh. Because inherently neutrons are also not stable. Neutrons have the tendency to decay into a proton and an electron. Uh, Oh, um, so I think I never learned nuclear physics. I only ever learned it from chemistry point of view. This is entirely <laughs> fascinating to me. <laughs> um, okay, so like because of uh, how these, like how the structure of the nucleus is, um, and I might be getting some stuff wrong also again. It's been almost a decade since I've like officially learned this stuff. But... Uh, because of how the structure of the nucleus is beyond lead, we have not found any element that is stable. And like when you're thinking about most of the elements after lead, you have to, almost all of them end up decaying into lead and something else because lead is the last stable one. So they will keep losing neutrons and keep uh, like, you know, going one step back in the reaction oh. until they arrive at a stable space. Um, there is some hypothesis that some nuclear physicists have, which is like there might be islands of stability further on down the periodic table. So maybe like, you know, at some point at 300 or something like that, you might have an island of stability where you find like four or five elements. But there is very 
it's one of those things that are like it's non falsifiable you can't tell that it's never going to happen yeah but it's but also really difficult found. to say because we would yeah. find elements of that if things beyond that were decaying to that um yeah do things naturally occur be like at higher periodic t- oh we don't know because they decay so quickly yeah we don't know like especially the later elements most of them stay around for like 10 to the power minus 10 or minus 15 seconds or something like that yeah um, huh see so you're basically making them in these like you know large hadron collider type places and you just have them for like basically a blip in time so like to answer your question we could have more elements but the chances of that are pretty was that my original question <laughs> You were saying that, like you know, there might be a part of universe where like different chemi- like different elements that we have never found might be happening. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thank you. That was really interesting. I had not learned most of that. I feel. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, <laughs> our physics teacher was part of the National Guard, and uh, he got called up halfway through the year, and so we had substitutes oh. for the rest of the year. And so we just didn't learn so oh. things. Um which is it's funny how that happens right your you know random events impact your life. Anyway. <laughs> so yes there was a cool exhibit I saw in Singapore um which kind of I felt like was kind of around this notion that we we wanted to talk about right that like like things attract like um hmm. I thought about commenting about how that was a really great uh, uh explanation of nuclear physics that we used there but um I'm not sure if we'll keep the whole thing I don't know so anyway whatever I mean it was interesting it was super interesting there was this other notion that I kind of first thought of even for some reason this notion just made me feel a little bit nervous right where it's like oh why do I feel like hesitant about thinking about this and I was like well it feels like a secret you shouldn't talk about with everyone do you feel that way about This notion that things that, would just end up happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little bit like um so last year a friend of mine was thinking about um starting consulting and she asked me very earnestly like you know how how will I get people? And I was like just start talking to people and it will just happen. And she just looked at me very weirdly and she was like that makes no sense and i did not expect that answer from you um and i was like yeah i don't say that a lot but somehow it almost always ends up happening that once you put yourself out there things just start sort of working out for you or like things just start in a hokey way one would say oh the universe conspires to give you the thing that you want and like i can't say that with a straight face but um one of my friends had said this quite well and i think that was the notion that you were also alluding to that your brain like goes into the con- confirmation bias and selection bias yes. process the moment you start biasing it um and if you can bias it towards the right things which is also why like you know having a positive attitude towards things and like a growth mindset versus having a fixed mindset why that changes your life so much right because your brain is going to pick up on patterns regardless so if you give it the right patterns to feed off of that is a way better path than anything else so yeah but i agree like it feels a little hokey to say no like, but- what kind of illogical <laughs> things are you believing in uh Well, I think you, both of those things you said were quite interesting there. So I'll, I'll come back to the the first one in a second. But 
I think for me, the reason why it feels like a secret is not so much that it feels hokey. It's like, at least for me, I feel like there's a part of like the way that you can manipulate yourself and manipulate the brain that it's kind of uncomfortable to think about, right? We like to believe that we have all these mm. notions of like free will and like, right, that we're always making independent mm. decisions. And so it's kind of uncomfortable to acknowledge where it's like, oh yeah, if I do just acknowledge out loud the thing I want, it's more likely to happen. And it's like, why would that work? And part of that is because then you start to tell your brain that like, oh, this is the pattern of things that I want. And then when you start to see things similar to that pattern, or you start to understand what the signs are of things that lead to that pattern, you start to just gravitate towards those because you've, you've acknowledged this is what I want. And, you know, in your, in your example, right, once you start to talk to people more and more, you start to pattern match on saying, mm -hmm. oh, these are the kinds of conversations I want. Then you start to understand, oh, these are the kind of people mm -hmm. I want. And then you understand what to say to those people because you're always getting these feedbacks around this is mm -hmm. this is good behavior. This is bad behavior. Right. Or I think we talked about in earlier episodes around like children and growing up. And I think in, in those contexts, it's really right. You're always getting feedback mm -hmm. on are you behaving in the right way? Yeah, I also, like, as you were speaking, I was also thinking about this thing where it can also backfire if you don't combine it with action. Like you said two things, right? Like one is you set your intent correctly. And then the other is then you actively take actions towards it so that you can iterate and you give your brain a chance to pattern match. In between are your wants. On one side are I must and on one side are I wish. And if you combine it with action, it starts moving towards I must. But if you don't, then slowly I want turns into I wish. Right. So like if you if you want to do something and you don't do it, you're going to feel like people like you don't do those kinds of things. Uh, right. Like there, you are saying that there might be an identity mismatch there. Well, you start to create an identity mismatch, is what I'm saying. And so then it becomes an aspirational identity. Uh, say, like, give more example or, like, you know, something more elaborate. Okay. So, um, I mean, at a really basic level, right? It could be like, oh, you know, I wish I was in a different career path, right? And that comes mm -hmm. from, like, I want to do a different kind of work, right? But when you don't do that work, then it becomes like, a, oh, people like me don't do this work, right? I... I do the kind of work I do, right? And so it becomes, oh, I wish I was mm. in a different career path. Um, maybe at a more complicated but tangible level, I would say even something, um, I mean, for me often, you know, like cooking examples come to mind, right? And I think mm. like I have uh, wanted to make some more complicated cakes in my time, but I've looked at them and I've just like shied away from them for various reasons at different points in time. But now it's kind of become mm. this thing where it's like, do you know, do I really even really want to do it I don't know I like I wish I could do it but like mm. right like I've convinced myself that that I just don't need to do those kinds of things right even as I'm telling this to you I'm like oh well because my husband likes to bake those right like I don't really even need to uh, right I'm like oh and it's not really worth like how much you cleaning up you have to do right? like there's so many at like I mean and easily I'm seeing these right there's, I make complicated things all the time that you might use like five different pans and three different pots <laughs> but for some reason <laughs> this has become a thing where I'm like oh yeah I wanted to do it but I didn't do it enough times I feel like it's become a thing where I'm like oh that's not part of me now it's something I wish I was oh. it's almost like there have been enough broken promises that you no longer consider that a reliable intent 
Okay, so this is like not directly related, but um, recently I've mentioned this to you, but like a friend of mine has been working with somebody who is holding multiple roles and like is really successful in what he does and is like a genius level person. Yeah. Um, and there was this one time when I was talking to my friend and he was just talking about how this guy just takes two minutes to do any admin task. And he like, you know, instantly replies to mail and I'm sure he gets a lot of emails, but he just has zero overhead on his brain when he's thinking about doing admin things. And something about the way my friend was just describing this situation to me, I realized that I've always had this weird notion in my mind that admin tasks, of course, take long. I'm not the kind of person for whom they would happen quickly. And somehow that conversation just made me question, but why? Why would a two-minute thing take you half an hour? Just like, where is that coming from? And something flipped. And now, yeah, really, admin tasks do just take me two minutes to do because I'm just not thinking about them in that manner. And like, as you were speaking about it, it's just like, it was a lifelong practice where I wouldn't do it. And then I would have convinced myself that, oh, this is how long it is going to take me. For other people, it might not. But for me, it will take me this long. That's funny. Yesterday, I almost, I went to, to have lunch with um, with a friend. And after lunch, I was right by this museum that I've been wanting to go to called Fo Photographica, which is, I think it's originally mm. from Sweden. And then they've opened this New York one. And then I don't know what mm. happened. I was just like, oh, do I even have time? Maybe I should go home. Like, I really need to do some work. And then I was also like, well, if I want to cycle home, then I really won't have time. And so I was like, oh, maybe what I should do is I should look up uh, is like what exhibits are happening. Uh, so I'm literally standing outside the museum, right? I like look up all, <laughs> like, like what exhibits they're showing and whatnot. And then I conclude that there's this exhibit opening on the second and it's like $35 this entry. So I'm like, oh, I might as well go in two days. I don't know. And I was just thinking about that when you were talking. And I think sometimes part of what makes tasks feel longer is when you do a lot of research around tasks, right? Like I think when, when you're saying about admin tasks, particularly, I have that notion, right? Because sometimes I'll just end up like, oh, like, you know, looking up how to send some letter before I'm going to send it, right? Like who <laughs> I need to do it. And now you put so much unnecessary, you aren't planning to deal with it right now. You're just looking up stuff around yeah. it. So then you have invested yeah. more time into the thing. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting notion to me because I think sometimes it's part of like building up the enthusiasm, right? Like I realize mm. I'm sometimes like I'm often like a minute or two late to talk to you. And part of it is like I feel like I need that like that, that almost that feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm running late. Where I'm like, oh, like now I'm like, I have enough motivation to like drop whatever I was doing. <laughs> it's very interesting. Oh no. <laughs> Maybe I should message you five minutes early and be like, oh, I'm already here. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting how like sometimes when they are thinking about these things, it's almost like you're walking on a very thin edge. If you don't do things um, like perfectly in one direction, you will slip. And if you don't do things perfectly in the other direction, also you will slip. Interesting. And then when you say these things, you mean like your brain. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, behavior. You can say behavior. Um, okay. Like, yeah, my brain, I guess. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, I also think like one has more resilience sometimes than we think, right? Or maybe I would say more resistance to building new patterns. Like, like I tried all sorts of addictive substances and, you know, luckily I've like never become addicted to any of them, right? Like my father is a smoker. Most of my family were smokers at different points in time. And like, I smoked a lot when I was in India because it was just like culturally what people did. We would like go out for smoke breaks. Um, and I'm a yeah. terrible sucker for doing whatever adults is doing. <laughs> um, but I've never, you know, I've never had that feeling where I've woken up and wanted a cigarette in the morning. So I don't know, right? Like, I feel like, yeah, sometimes, you know, you do have to worry about like building bad behavior patterns really quickly and whatnot. And sometimes like you have more kind of resilience. I think maybe it also comes from what, how you, what you think about, right? And maybe come back to the notion I was saying a few seconds ago if you feel like part of your identity is a certain kind of thing, it's going to be hmm. really hard for you yeah. to build a bad behavior pattern if you feel like that's not part of your identity. Hmm. Yeah, that but actually, like, I think, uh, I mean, works in the reverse also. It can also really stop you from engaging in good behaviors, which is what you were saying sometimes. Like, it just slips away from us and goes into, ah, oh, I wish I could do this, but can people like me really do this? Have there been things where you felt like when you were, which seemed pretty hard, but then once you set your mind to it, things came together and like, you know, life found a way in your words. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of had decided uh, that summer when I was living in Rochester and was like cooking a lot and writing uh, the summer of 2015, that one of the things I wanted to do was spend more time with my family in India uh, while they were like still, you know, in good health and whatnot. And I ended up moving to India that year in a way I could have never really expected. Um, but it happened, mm. right? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I felt like my relationship at that point was untenable. And that also resolved itself in a way that I, you know, at that point couldn't have imagined, right? So, like, in, at that point in my life, I felt like, you know, you do always get what you want, but it's often in a way you couldn't have predicted. <laughs> Interesting. I was recently listening to somebody's interview and they said something similar. They said life will always work out. It might not work out in the ways that you want it to work out, but it will always work out because tomorrow will always come. Yeah, right. So I think that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. And it's just bright, maybe broadening your, your view of what is um, acceptable. I don't know. I think it might also be another thing. So like both you and I have a fairly optimistic disposition. Mm. Um, and so it might be that like we are more likely to think that life will work out. That's what I was kind of thinking about, but not being able to articulate a second ago. Yeah, that um, it kind of depends on what you're willing to accept. And if you broaden your purview of saying this is, you know, this is my acceptable or this is even my delightful range, then it's a lot easier to be delighted. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is there have been studies on that also, right? Like um, that people who perceive themselves as lucky are more lucky. Yeah. And it, it, it's just very interesting. I think their study is uh, with them sort of asking people to count the number of um, vowels or number of ands in the headlines of a newspaper or something like that. And one of the... Uh, articles on the newspaper contains this snippet of this newspaper has this many ants in headlines and people who like rated themselves as very lucky in life were the ones who 
were way more likely to find that line than the ones who didn't. Well, that kind of goes to, you know, even what, I don't know if you know this, but like when girls start school, I know in the US, I'm not sure if this is true everywhere, but they tend to be mm -hmm. at par with boys in mathematics schools. But as they grow go up through school, girls start to drop behind. And, yeah. right, so the, the, the kind of contention, the theory in contention that I've heard at least is like that people start to hear and ingest these myths that like, oh, girls are not mm -hmm. good at school. Right. So I think similarly, if yeah. you start to believe like you're someone who's lucky, right, you're going to put in that kind of effort to feel like you are lucky. Right. And sometimes being lucky does mean paying attention to unexpected things and, you know, searching a little bit harder or whatever. Like that is how you make your. Yeah. Make your or life. even like subconscious stuff. Right. Like your brain might not even know what you are thinking about and what you are talking about or doing. Um, one of the things that came to my mind when you were talking about how uh, like girls have similar ability of mathematics when they are younger in the US, but like it drops off later on. There was a study done on women where they were given scars, uh, like they were given prosthetic scars and they were told that uh, what they're trying to study is the effect of like, you know, facial deformation on how people perceive you during interview etc mm. etc et yeah and then they said before the women like they showed the women the scar and then before they were about to go they, was, they said Ki, oh we'll just do a touch-up but then in the touch-up they would remove the scar um so like the women have gone normally but the interesting thing was that those women really did report a lot of quote-unquote discrimination based on their facial features and appearance and they attributed a lot of it to the scarring of how people they even found out things that the interviewer said that were pointedly about their appearance while there was nothing wrong with their appearance because the scar had been removed yeah they just thought they had the scar yeah oh, wow. and this was like one of those uh like just looking at do people actually get impacted by their own perceptions of how, how others might see them? Yeah, I think we actually talked about that in one of our first few episodes, right? But it, it I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely true, right? Like how your perception of what you think other people think of you just can shape your, your experience of, of things. Um. One other thing that I have recently been thinking about, and as we were just talking about this idea of like setting intent and then like letting your brain find the patterns, was this, this is a very common notion that you should focus on one thing and just work on that one thing. But both of us are not the kind of people who will just focus on one thing. And while I've always experienced the benefits of not focusing on one thing, I've rarely been able to articulate them. And I think this is, one of those things that is the benefit of working on multiple things. You give your like brain three or four different things that the, it can pattern seek about. Mm. And then whatever matches, matches. Mm. That's interesting. Right? It, it's almost like letting things slow cook. It, and you have like four burners and you just leave all of them on. And like slowly it all gets like richer in flavor. And you and it's like that notion you were telling me about a few days ago with those twelve questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Who was it? Who that was? 
Finman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Richard Finman. Like he had twelve problems that he was constantly thinking about, and whenever he would come across a new insight, he would try and match it to all of them. and see if something new comes up anyway and like i'm not even saying something that active although i am trying to incorporate that more in my life now because like that just feels amazing but even beyond that right like i'm sure that sometimes when you have been thinking about i don't know stuff that you're working on on your investor side and then you might be thinking about stuff that is happening on like you know your idea for a restaurant side and then something around joyous and then something in your personal relationship and there is always like some cross pollination that can happen i think so i mean i don't really so much think about things in that way <laughs> i more find like that i'll give myself um sometimes almost like random data points right um and then i'll find uh that i'll kind of like revisit things and have made progress on them if that makes sense Like for example, I'm like there's there's a scene I'm like trying to rewrite for this play that I've been working on, and like I know, I have like the broad strokes of what it's going to look like, and like whenever I keep going out mm-hmm. to places and like doing things, like sometimes like I'll think about different parts of it, but I'm not like actively sort of thinking about it. Like I'm just kind of like <laughs> right, and I know at some point I'll like sit down and I'll have done some more work on it. I just but I tend to not so much like like I don't sit down and be like oh I'm thinking about this thing. Sometimes have you never done that? I mean, sometimes, but usually when I like in an active form, like I'll be like, "Oh, I'll like write about it, or I'll brainstorm about it," and then like. I think I want to add more of that time in my, like that is what I'm almost like taking away from this conversation. So my sister has been doing this thing where like every uh, week she's taking out thirty minutes to just talk herself mm. about things that she's doing and she's wanting to do. It's just like. Thirty minutes or an hour, like it's just a strategy time. Yeah, it's not anything else. Yeah, I mean, I find that because it's it's I I like to be in an activity when I'm doing something. Like I'll do something else, right? So like I will like there's like some places I like to go for a walk, or I've been like going for more of like meditation because I'm like I'm a big one for group activities, right? Um, and so like you know those give you like space for. Uh, at least like finding the thoughts right if not maybe like actively engaging with them but sometimes actively engaging hmm. with them too depends on when you are finding these passive thoughts where do they come from now that we like you know already in the hokey territory <laughs> i guess usually um i remember something like seeing in- something thinking about something or like something caught my attention. Usually like I remember that something caught my attention um in a certain way. Do you talk to yourself? No. Sometimes. No. I mean, sometimes, but not in those moments. It's not like I'm like, "Oh, remember when this, we saw this thing?" <laughs> Wait, when you're brainstorming with yourself, you do not talk to yourself. But I well, I'm not brainstorming then. Or like, "Wait, without talking to yourself ideas come to you generally yeah like like for example i remember i was um walking yeah i i don't know i think i was like sat down on the bench and this guy like was taking a picture uh, above me um and then i was i don't know he just like reminded me of someone sometimes it's hard right because i think i was thinking about them and then i was thinking about like like 
a mutual friend of ours who also writes poetry. And then I was thinking about poetry and then I was thinking about how I could apply for that, uh, the summer writing program. This is so interesting. <laughs> Not that like, you can make random connections because like, of course, everybody makes random connections, but I'm just... I think what you said earlier where you're like, no, not always, is the interesting part. Because I think that when I'm doing creative work, sure, I don't think I have an active dialogue with that part of myself. But almost every other thing, like especially for cognitive problem solving, I'm almost always talking to myself in some way, shape or form. Oh, like what if we try this? No, what if we try this? Like what if we do it this way? Yeah. Or like this wouldn't work and this would not work because of this. And then one can try that. And there is that study. Like basically how I talk is also how I internally talk. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'll try that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like there is an inner voice in your head. And it's just such a big part of your life that you don't even recognize that it is. It could be that. <laughs> Yeah. Probably not though. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Okay, this is like a really fun episode. Right? Yeah, I think it was interesting. I feel like we we really kind of started from one place and covered a bunch around around it, but it was an interesting <laughs> conversation. Yeah, especially with an aside to nuclear physics. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> okay, this was fun. Bye. <laughs> Bye, this is super fun. Bye. <laughs>